0: Welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. My name is Bill Woods. I'm your host, but only one half of your host this week. I'm joined by U.S. affairs analyst of the Consumer Choice Center, Elizabeth Hicks. Sorry, Liz, I just... uh Got to do the long form here, just, uh, uh, Liz, how's, how's it going? Introduce yourself to the audience.
1: Yes, hello, thank you so much for having me on as your co-host today. Hello to all of the consumer listeners doing very well. I'm here in Lansing, in Michigan, in the US. I'm excited to uh, dive into some hot topics today
0: landing just to try and locate us is there any is that because you mentioned Detroit before right that's the that's a dangerous city right
1: detroit is uh it, you know it's it's on the up and up it used to be dangerous more dangerous it's gone through a lot it's a uh It's a little empty now, I would say, but it's coming back. I moved this last week, actually, to Lansing, which is the capital of Michigan. So uh, right near the uh, state capital here, I can walk on over and and bother all sorts of folks on that hill. So it's a a good place to be.
0: Walking, wow. I remember that, uh, you know, I spent, uh, once I was in in Washington, D.C., and I was walking to places thinking that this works like a European city, I can just walk to places. But it turns out it's quite far. Walking is not really the advised way getting to places in the u.s but it's
1: uh, It's actually driving is probably the most common way to walk unless you're in a a pretty major urban city like new york city is very walkable dc is kind of walkable but um it's also a pretty large city so you could be walking for a long time depending on where you're going but we mostly rely on on cars i would say there's a couple bikes here and there but not nearly as many bikes as perhaps where you are in amsterdam there's tons of bikers there but here in the u.s it's really do a lot of driving
0: yeah it depends on sort of the culture and also like the the altitude changes right i mean it's like if i had to go up and down a lot i mean my bike doesn't even have like gear changes and doesn't even have brakes you could have the back pedal brake you know the old types uh so it's oh, like so it's you do a... the
1: back pedal brake as we say if your bike doesn't have brakes you might have well, a I mean, there's
0: sort of a brake but not i mean like i am to be fair uh, just also a psa for all the people who go into traffic going, going to traffic or across the cycling lane when i'm going there if your kid crosses into the cycling lane there's no way i'm stopping in time i needed these 10 meters to get just to stop, so just no, I'll run you over for sure. Uh, but uh, let's get to the program of this week. We are in episode sixty-two of the Consumer Podcast. Uh, this is the episode of February twenty-four, two thousand and twenty-two, uh, and we have three topics lined out today. We're going to talk about energy, uh, Germany, Nord Stream two, which kind of relates to what's going on in Ukraine right now. We'll be talking about agriculture. The New York Times with a great video, best newspaper ever, obviously, and uh, and then we will also be talking about alcohol, our favorite uh, pastime uh, uh, pleasure. Uh, regulations in the eu but also there's regulations all uh, across the pond and uh, we're going to be talking about that as well so let's just get started uh so liz first topic i wanted to uh, i wanted to get to is well let's just actually start with booze you know feels the most laid back here right so let me just give you the news of what we're having in terms of conversations right now in europe we have something called the beating cancer committee and as we all know uh, uh drinking causes cancer uh they don't talk much about the degrees to which that's uh, uh problematic i do remember this uh, uh back in the time when this was this glyphosate conversation um they the the activists came out and they said oh there in, in your beer there's glyphosate and then the german uh ministry for for uh, uh, environment or is it c- c- consumer rights they came out and they said well we have to kind of clarify that you actually need to drink a thousand liters of beer per day for that to be actually a problem now liz i i don't know what your consumption but i think if you drink a thousand liters of beer in one day i think the glyphosate is not your biggest problem mate. i don't know what you think no
1: <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure your stomach would explode if you were doing that i mean you're gonna have a lot of other health problems if you're drinking a thousand liters of beer a day that is do you need to like drink amount. a
0: thousand like in a year maybe i don't know if you're a I big drinker mean, Sounds yeah like
1: i that. mean even if you drank one liter a day, that only gets you to 365 in a year. I mean, what's so one liter a day? So you have to drink, like, I mean... three liters a day to get... Well, I mean... And even I... three liters of beer in a day <laughs> seems... Ab- Kind of like a lot I and mean, you, I'm, I'm sure I've done it before, but
0: after CCC Oktoberfest, I'm pretty sure that we'll all have the, <laughs> the the consumption in for for the for the year to come. But so basically, what the conversation is now about is that there's this this report coming out and uh, 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 with uh, alcohol causing cancer. There, there's a lot of these amendments in the report that seem to suggest that we need to do something about this. But the European People's Party in the European Parliament is now saying that uh, it should we should water this down a little. And I do agree with them. They say, for instance, that uh, only abuse of alcohol should actually be considered the risk factor, then again, I would actually claim that, you know, if you're actually an alcohol abuse, again, the cancer big risk but actually falling into abuse with alcohol is a much bigger immediate risk for your health with all the related problems that, that it causes in your life. Now I was curious uh, Liz, you know, we talk a lot in, in Europe uh, about uh, these alcohol taxations and regulations. It's very different from where you buy your booze if you go on holidays in Bulgaria it's going to be very different from buying a bottle of vodka in the shop in Ireland. So uh, do you have that in the US as well? Are there like places where people go to just stock up on booze and then drive back to where they're from in the state like does that happen Absolutely. is there like big differences
1: yeah it is it, it is something that happens in the u.s there are actually in the deep south there are a handful of dry counties still where you cannot purchase alcohol at all and throughout the entire county and um, like saudi arabia <laughs> it's, like, it seems booze. that way <laughs> but allowed. yeah it's like no <laughs> booze um you can't purchase it so they will wow. they will drive to a neighboring county that will have obviously any alcohol and by that. Also in Utah, there's a lot of pretty strict alcohol regulations. Utah is uniquely um, known for having a pretty large Mormon population, which does not Drink alcohol, um, which is kind of, I think, why we see that there, but also very difficult to find alcohol throughout Utah. It is there, but it's very limited as to where you can buy it, when you can buy it. Um, and also throughout a lot of other states, there are a lot of just regulations with the sale and distribution of alcohol. Um, like I lived in Virginia um, a couple of years ago, for example, and all of their liquor you have to buy at a state like sanctioned store it's called the abc store and that's only open on certain hours some days it's not open at all and so you really have to cater around these regulations if you want so to how does in.
0: that work how does that work? Is it state-sanctioned? Is, that, is, that, is the state selling you that or they have to get a special license only for – but how is that different from a liquor license for a shop? Like what right. is the what is the key difference here?
1: Right. So for some states, yeah, you have to get a license through the state. Like it has to be a, like a state-sanctioned one, and there are specific stores. So if you want to like franchise it, it has to be like the specific ABC state-sanctioned state store – um, in order to do that. Now, if you are a like restaurant or something, there's different workarounds because you have a distributor license that's, you know, much different than if you were just selling it to like your regular consumer. Um, but with that, I mean, it there, it's crazy how difficult they've made it. And again, like there are some places in the U.S. where you have to drive like over an hour just to go grab a bottle of wine or a case of beer, um, which is just very silly to me.
0: Yeah, it it, it, it is strange. I, I remember being in Iceland, and Iceland also has this sort of system. In Scandinavian countries in Europe, you know, in Northern Europe, they're all, they're very strict on this. I mean, people do have the purchasing power to 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 pay apparently seventeen euros for for a beer, uh, which is still very strange to me because I I thought I was from the rich country, but apparently I'm not. Um, and so they have these these, uh, uh, and I still don't know exactly if they if if they have the state uh, um, uh, liquor stores. If they actually if if there's a, like a bureaucrat working there uh i know that in hungary they have something very similar as well uh, for cigarettes and so the government is actually advertising so if you go to budapest for instance you have like these signs and you see that this is a government store and that's where you can get your cigarettes and interestingly what i notice is that the the state shops sell beer cheaper than uh than than most of the most of the local shops so like beer in a can to just take away which is strange because who buys refrigerated beer in a can in a, sh- in a in a small shop unless it is to drink outside, which is illegal in Budapest. So uh, so this is, a, this is a very strange dynamic as to like how how these things how these things are enforced. Now, in the north of the u s. is that also like a thing with Canada? Are the Canadians coming down to the u s? so who who goes where? It's, it it's actually
1: beer? the the Americans will go to Canada because the drinking age in hmm. Canada, I believe is eighteen. Uh, maybe it's nineteen, but it's younger at the u s. The drinking age is twenty one. Um, throughout, there aren't really any exceptions, pretty minor exceptions, but no matter what, if you're purchasing alcohol, you have to be 21. Um, so a lot of folks, um, I've had some friends in, in like Buffalo area upwards, you know, on the border of Canada in New York and on their 18th birthday or 19th birthday, they'll sneak across the, I shouldn't say sneak across the border. They'll legally cross the border <laughs> and, <laughs> and go into Canada
0: usually talk about. <laughs> to
1: go drink and, you know, and that's what they'll do because here you can't do that. And if you get caught here in the U.S. drinking under 21, it's, uh, some pretty serious fines and potential jail. Yeah. So crime.
0: what, what do they do? Cause do they do they do do they find like the the shop the, the the restaurant the bar do you get a fine as well can you go to jail for this I mean I, I know like from our experience and I think probably watching too many HBO and Netflix shows you can go to jail for almost anything yeah, even right. if you're innocent in the US so <laughs> exactly. so what happens exactly if you get caught Drinking and you underage.
1: So a lot of times it depends on the the circumstance or situation in which you know you are getting caught. So if you're like drunk driving, of course that's you know not a good thing to do. They're gonna pull you over if you're driving erratically. Probably make you do a sobriety test or a breathalyzer. If you are underage and you blow anything over zeros, you are getting a ticket. Um, each state has different things that they'll call them. One's called Paula, which is like possession alcohol under the legal age just like a cute little name for it although it's not cute um and then there are just a bunch of other things that they'll call it um but so if that happens then you'll get a big fine if you're underage if you're supplying children or people underage, age should say children if you're supplying like teenagers with alcohol and you're not um, and they're not 21, then you get an even bigger fine and potential jail time. Um, and then also too, I mean, this is a big issue at universities. I went to the University of Iowa, and our police department there it almost exclusively went after drinking-related issues. Um, and so, I mean, I'm not a terrible driver, but I got pulled over probably like 15 times, and I didn't, I wasn't doing anything wrong, but they were just checking to see if people were drunk driving. Um, And so with that though, there's tons of kids who are getting kind of wrongfully targeted for this. Um, One big issue too is kids walking home from the bars. A lot of times the campus police or the like city police for that university will like give them a ticket for public intoxication. And it's like, well, and then they'll give them a... Sometimes they'll give them an opportunity or an option of, okay, well, do you want to go to the hospital and get your stomach pumped? Or do you want to go to jail and go to the drunk tank for the night and then get bailed out in the morning? Like, you're not just going to keep walking home, though, which... Oh, to,
0: boy. Which to me yeah, is that's, silly. I mean, it's...
1: It's like they're making the smart decision by walking home and not drinking or drinking and driving, right? But, yet, it's still being penalized. So I think, unfortunately, the state views a lot of alcohol-related policies as ways to make money and to generate revenue. So it's, it's kind of unfortunate to see that, in my opinion.
0: It's such a strange approach. You know, you would think that a country that has had all the experiences of prohibition and, and how, how that works out to, to be right. more informed as to how to regulate it. I mean, also making it more expensive. I keep using this also as a phrase and I hope to. Well, maybe it's eventually going to become popular and mainstream if I, if I continue using it. But I think what we have, if we increase the price for things, we, what you create is a quasi prohibition. Mm. It's, 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 it's prohibited if you're too poor. Right. And so because you can't access it, I mean, okay you can buy it, but if it's too expensive, it's just not available to you. And and I think we were talking with people from the Turkish Public Alcohol Policy Alliance Mm -hmm. recently, and they said they have like 100 deaths a year from alcohol poisoning, um, which doesn't I mean, it's it's a country of 80 million people, Turkey. Yeah, and you have to you have to also understand that about sixty percent of the population has never touched alcohol in their lives sure. for religious reasons. So so it's actually you know it's about thirty million people, and you have a hundred deaths a year in a country where alcohol used to be a very available and cheap product, and they really raised the price, and with inflation it gets even worse. So people don't have access to it, and what they do is well, you just make your own, mm-hmm. and uh, and of course that you know if you if you, if you don't know what you're doing, I mean there's these beer home brew beer sets where you can't do much wrong apart from brewing a terrible beer, but you know if you if you if you you know if you uh, experiment with ethanol eventually you might get yourself killed and that's yeah. not a good idea um so i i my, my view has also been that you know in, in luxembourg we have the legal drinking age at 16 that in germany it applies to just like soft alcohol so you can have beer and wine but you can't have liquor in luxembourg oh, it's for everything and we even have something like it's a bit like the jack daniels bridge uh, the bridge <laughs> that connects us to germany over the moselle river where the that's, germans that's who are 16 thing. and the they jack want
1: daniels to- bridge <laughs>
0: Oh, I call it that. But I mean, you can you can see these 16 year olds. Uh, they walk over the bridge. Now they're in Luxembourg and they can buy it and also legally bring it back because you're in a single market and you can legally bring things back. So awesome. drinking it is fine. Buying it is not. Uh, so, I mean, people always find their ways, you know, with these things. Yeah. What was actually I'm not sure if you can disclose this without going to jail. was like what was actually your first drink? I assume it was probably illegal.
1: Yeah, it was illegal, for sure. I was not 21. My first drink was when I was in high school. Sorry, Mom. Um, But, I mean, it was just (laughs) one of those things where, I mean, we obviously can't go buy it. I mean, there was always a couple shops that you maybe could find that, didn't really care but it was there weren't really those they were pretty strict where where I grew up um and so oftentimes you would rely on older siblings or older friends to find it for you and give it to you and so I think the first drink I had was UV blue which is like it's gross. That sounds terrible it's really gross it sorry blue? UV it blue? but it's just like one of those really kind of crappy liquors that uh it's like vodka but it's like, it's like vodka juice it's like blue raspberry Ooh. vodka juice it's
0: gross. Uh, yeah that sounds horrible let's uh let's actually move away from the topic now i have like oh i was thinking of alcohol in such a positive way and i'm thinking of all the <laughs> shit that people are actually drinking yeah, I feel like uh, I'm giving a people drink... a
1: hangover just by the stri- describing this drink <laughs>
0: So, so I mean, some of the, some of these liquors, you have the feeling like they're just made to make a fancy shot because somebody goes into the pub and wants a pink shot, and yeah. now we gotta have something that looks pink. Uh, no, so uh, let's move away from that. But uh, good good stuff on the the European People's Party. They're trying to water down some of these amendments. I think uh, it's it's a good it's a good approach to not label and stigmatize all the consumption of people, right. and let's also not put like these cancer stickers everywhere. It's yeah, the, it also kind of eventually doesn't make like if I see a label that something causes cancer on everything then eventually I'm not going to take it serious for the things right. that I actually might take yeah. cause cancer so it loses its effect when
1: it's oversaturated absolutely so it's yeah not a good approach
0: yeah Alright, well let's move to the next topic and uh, we're going to talk about one of your favorite people, Cory Booker. Uh, He was heavily featured in uh, a video by the New York Times. Great newspaper, by the way. I saw that ad recently and I'm not a fan of Harry Potter so I'm like, oh yeah, totally. Harry Potter without J.K. Rowling. So now I'm subscribed to the New York Times and I see this video and let me play you some clips from that uh, video and then uh, let's talk
1: about it. The oil companies lied to us for years to line their pockets. Our leaders talk tough and act weak, telling us to recycle more. (laughs) that's going to make a difference. Blah, 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 blah. You recycle? Great. Drink through paper straws and join protests? Go you. But all your anger at politicians and big oil, it's ignoring a major polluter. A web of industries churning out at least one-third of all greenhouse gas emissions around the world. A system that's polluting our water and degrading our soil.
0: I want to be blunt with you, I'm very frustrated that the, the, the incredible climate movement in America doesn't talk enough about food.
2: Yeah,
1: it's our food system. And a big part of that is agriculture, the industry that farms
0: your food. So, right, so Cory Book is heavily featured there, and big ag is the problem, Um Liz, what, is, what does Cory Booker have to gain from this? Is, like, is there no farming happening in New Jersey? What's uh, what's his uh, approach here?
1: You know, I just find it oddly elitist that, you know, he can sit in his ivory tower and attack the agriculture industry when there are a million people throughout the world and probably thousands throughout his district or his state that are struggling to put food on the table so the fact that he's attacking the agricultural industry instead of celebrating it i find very baffling i mean the innovations we've seen from the agricultural industry over the past few decades are astounding and have only boosted our food supply and security throughout the world so uh, this whole video was just laughable to me i mean god bless cory booker he is i think probably the greatest you know political theater actor we have he i don't it's hard for me to take him seriously to be honest he's just always acting
0: i mean we, it's its we have to sort of for our european listeners i mean how do we explain cory booker what's the how is there an easy way to explain this I, I we don't really have an equivalent of that in, I don't in the european parliament
1: <laughs> um hmm
0: Bunch of catchphrases. He uses a lot of buzzwords. Like it, it's mostly the buzzwords. I mean, a in the Spartacus. video. I mean, he was I mean, yeah, pausing he... for the video. is so scripted.
1: Yes, I think he really is known for just being a scripted kind of like actor in a way. I mean, and I'm, I'm sure he believes in what he says and maybe hopefully, but at the end of the day, he just is like. It's hard to take him seriously because it just doesn't seem particularly genuine. He's putting on a show to, you know, get people riled up. And a lot of the things that they're saying about, like they attacked like farmers in this video saying like, oh, they're not actually these family farmers. This is a Marvel movie. What? And then it's like this whole thing you just produced is basically a Marvel movie. So there's just a lot of hypocrisy and theatrics that I think are distracting people from the evidence here, which is that the agricultural industry has helped us increase our food supply and security and that is essential for us as a society
0: and also a lot of the things i'll, I'll have an i'll have an op-ed eventually like uh, rebuking a lot of the lot of the claims that are made in the video i think one of the one of the uh, claims that they make about co2 emissions in the soil that happens through uh, uh plowing uh, tilling that, that that is true uh, I, mean, I mean that's 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 a phenomenon that we know about and we actually do have innovations um there's, like, reduced-till or no-till agriculture that we can already use. However, uh, and I'm not sure how the New York Times will take this news, <laughs> if you do no-till or reduced-till, you need a lot more herbicides and you need uh, genetic engineering. So I'm not quite sure how the, the op-ed writers at the New York Times will take that news because that will actually mean also some changes in how we perceive modern agriculture, and I'm not sure they, they really want to go with that. Um, also, what... Coming back to Cory Booker, I think we also have a bit of this phenomenon in Europe. Um, so you have, a, For instance, you have a country like Austria. Austria argues that we need to have significantly more organic agriculture, which is easy for Austria to say because 25% of the sales of food are already organic. And that's exactly the target that Austria set for the rest of the country. So it, it seems to be a bit similar because uh, New Jersey is not a particularly agriculture-heavy no. A state, so he doesn't have a particular electoral problem making those claims. Um, but but he's easy to judge those in in the farm-heavy states. As, These are the, the 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 awful farmers. They're destroying the. I mean, the, the title was like literally like the, These are the people that are killing the planet, and yeah. you know, just portraying every farmer to be sort of a factory farmer, which is not how it actually works. Oh no! And
1: no I mean, I was offended personally by this video. I grew up in Iowa, and I come from a family of farmers, and so. The fact that they're saying like, you know, there aren't these family farmers, this is a lie and it's only these big factory farms that don't care about the climate. It's just not true. Also, farmers, they have an incentive to keep the earth viable so they can keep farming. Why would they just destroy it? You know, just I can appreciate there's better ways to innovate, which I think the agricultural industry has been doing. So to attack them for these innovations and for these advancements just seems unjust, in my opinion. But it also seems that they're trying to pick a new scapegoat. It's like let's not be bad at big oil anymore. Let's shift our all of our hatred towards big agriculture, which is it doesn't make sense to me.
0: Yeah, you always find eventually a new boogeyman. I mean, what is, yeah. what, is what what I, where I do have to give sort of the 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 American media landscape a bit more credit than the European one is that at least on things where we can find alternatives to our current consumption, like sort of genetic engineering. Um, it seems that you know the, the 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 current administration in the U.S. and and, and the media landscape seems to be. Uh not as strict on on trying to judge these things because you know when you do the Impossible Burger, all these burger alternatives, mm-hmm. meat alternatives that exist in the states that do not exist in Europe. You know, if you want to get, we want to have those, we got to fly over uh, to you to to even try these. And I think they're actually great. And that's and that's sort of like they, they talk a lot about cows in this New York yeah. Times video. I was like, well, there is actually a practical solution for your your methane emissions problem if you suggest to people as opposed to um, abstaining completely from meat just to you suggest a good alternative through modern technology in europe we've kind of like we don't like anything new you know, we did this sort of anything that's new anything that's like produced scientifically or, or with the help of, of, of uh, something that was done in a lab we think of the states and like some monstrous company making money and whatever so but in in, in the states it seems that this is not as bad yet i don't know like what's your what's your view there are we going to see the same shift uh, in policies I or
1: i hope not i mean it has been really cool to see the you know the gmos kind of advance in some regard especially with impossible meat i mean that is that's cool and i th- i mean i've know a handful of vegans and vegetarians who ha- who eat the impossible meat and they love it um and so i think it is a great option um especially you know for there is concerns about the cow burps <laughs> leading to so much methane which I really would love to see the studies on that because that just sounds ludicrous to me but nonetheless. It's definitely
0: it's definitely a factor I my mean, methane is not as bad as co2 uh, it's definitely a factor um and and, and and I mean that's a again it's a it's a viable claim it but I mean what we also have to recognize that the New York Times mentions this but it's not an I mean it's a, it's an inevitable kind of thing I mean you're not gonna stop cows and burping i mean unfortunately sorry sorry for the ex- explicit uh explanation here but i mean that's kind of how it works and um so so i think you know finding alternatives that's a that that's a great thing yeah. to do here and, and the u.s has been leading the way yeah. in this.
1: and i think we should continue embracing that uh, mentality and continuing to advance um you know these technologies here and, and getting more genetically modified food and being able to feed more people with less resources i mean that's in my opinion, the ultimate goal here is to make sure everyone has access to what they need at reasonable prices. And that's, at the end of the day, I think what Big Egg is after as well. Mm
0: All right, so Liz, so now we found out you started drinking too early, uh, you're not a <laughs> vegan, and now I need you to solve the Russia and Ukraine conflict for me. Uh, so Goodness. this is our next topic here on the podcast. What a, what a, what a segue. Um, so this is our next topic here. Um, US, uh, uh, the, the U.S. is critical of, uh, of Germany's... Um, Germany's involvement with Russia and dependency on Russia because of the Nord mm-hmm. Stream Two pipeline, mm-hmm. and this pipeline uh, is a new is a new project. The Nord Stream the number One exists already, and, uh, and 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 Germany makes itself increasingly uh, increasingly dependent on Russian gas. And uh, uh, I'm going to just play a, a clip for you right here. Uh, uh, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz was actually on Jake Tapper's uh, show on CNN earlier uh, this month, and he was asked about it. And uh, let's let's hear what he had to say. President Biden said that the pipeline would not happen if Russia invades you won't say that how would President Biden stop the pipeline just by imposing severe sanctions and 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 why won't you explicitly say Russia if you invade Ukraine we're canceling the pipeline
2: we are doing much more as one step we are and all the steps we will take we will do together as the president said we are preparing for that and you can understand and you can be absolutely sure that Germany will be together with all its allies, and especially the United States, that we take the same steps. There will be not, no differences in that situation. What we do today is giving this very strong answer to Russia, saying, if you invade the Ukraine, this will have a very high price for you, which will have high impacts on your economy and the chances for your development. And we are ready to take steps that will have costs for us ourselves. Right on the one hand on the other hand we are doing all the necessary things that we can do on the diplomatic channel but not as an alternative we do the two things as a two-way strategy on one hand giving the strong message to russia on the other hand saying that uh, we will work in all the different formats where there is there were the talks today.
0: Germany's kind of tamed its message on on, on Russia because of this incredible uh, uh, tend- like dependency on gas. You know, if if Russia uh, shuts up the pipelines, uh, Germany goes mostly cold, and yeah. they'll have a political uh, scapegoat there. So um, uh, the conversation has been sort of all over the place in the U.S. Democrats, Republicans seem to there seems to be disagreements as to what is the position to take towards Germany on this. Uh, Liz, what can you tell us then?
1: Yeah, you know, there, it is getting a little weird. Over here in the U.S. on this issue, Um, I would assume it would be a more of a bipartisan thing, but it has become very partisan, um, unfortunately. Um, And so I think overall, I mean, Biden's position at this point is not for Nord Stream 2 um, if Russia invades. Like, they do not want that to happen. And I know that he's working with the German chancellor, who we just heard from, um, and that they are cooperating together in agreement on how they're going to move forward. Not a lot of details have been given as to how they would shut down this Nord Stream 2. But, um, so I think there's a lot of kind of concerns over that right now. But with the politicians and the senators and congresspeople here in the U.S., there's also been quite a bit of of back and forth on this to some regard um we saw senator cruz proposed a bill to sanction operators of Nord Stream 2 um just recently and that was shot down by democrats um, and the reason it was shot down is because they thought it wouldn't help ukraine to sanction these operators and that would only hurt biden by saying by putting these sanctions on because it would potentially strain his relationship or our relationship with germany um and so there's just seems to be a lot of polarization here on what the best way to move forward is um Republicans are concerned definitely about oil supply here in the U.S. and making sure that the U.S. does not become dependent on foreign oil. Um, obviously, we have a lot of... Right.
0: So what's the situation there? Like, where do you get uh, where do you get oil and gas from? What's uh, what, what are the origins there for the U.S.? We UN's? get
1: oil and gas from a lot of places. Something I learned recently is that we actually pay Russia $20 million a day for oil, which to me just seems a little... Not the best idea, perhaps, especially when we have so much of our own oil in the U.S. We could be refining. Uh, Another interesting thing, too, is that uh, apparently the U.S. is the cleanest when it comes to refining oil. They have We have, I guess, the most green practices, not to say that they are, you know, the best, but in comparison to others, they are actually significantly better because the U.S. does have climate goals that we are trying to achieve, whereas Russia does not. Um, And so if we're getting oil from places that do not have any climate goals or care about that, then we can safely assume that this oil is not probably being refined in the most environmentally conscious way. Whereas countries that do have these climate goals are going to have incentives to make sure that it is refined more cleanly. Um, And so this is just a loss for not only energy consumers in the U.S., but also environmentalists. Why would we be shipping tons of oil internationally. And in. I mean, think about how many more emissions that's causing just shipping it when we can just produce it our own and then factor in how we actually refine it as well. So it's led to a lot of issues here in the U.S. too. I mean, for consumers, particularly uh, this last year, American consumers on average saw an increase of $1,200 um, of their energy bills. That's, I mean, $1,200 more this year because of energy is pretty substantial, especially when we're dealing with all of these other issues with inflation um and everything else after the pandemic so
0: Yes, by seven and a half percent, I think overall inflation now. I think on food it's five, five, five between five and seven. Yes. So it's in the U.S. as well. We have something similar in Europe. What we also see now is European governments actually writing people checks just to pay their energy bills. Mm. Uh, this is already happening in France. There's actually wow. like depending on your income, you actually receive a check in the mail. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think the French actually still use checks, um, which uh, uh, which you can uh, which you need to use to to pay your bills, and and that's quite extraordinary. Now the good thing is that f- countries such as France, I mean started already in the 70s now um, Emmanuel Macron announced uh, the building of 14 new nuclear power plants and this is of course also reaction i mean yeah. at the same time uh, to uh, with the, the 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 situation of trying to reduce co2 emissions but also the dependency on russia that we see and i think what you mentioned there earlier with like imports into the us is also uh, relevant i don't want to do any whataboutism here but it's also it's also when we talk about dependencies we all have dependencies yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the U.S., uh, uh, I mean, the Chinese, the amount of the U.S. debt obligations owned by China uh, uh, or, or overall imports of energy. Like, we are dependent on regimes that we don't want to be dependent on. And if we have the technology to try and reduce that, and and, and I think nuclear energy here is a great advantage, even though, yes, of course, it does take 20 years for all these things to be built, but that's why you need to be forward-thinking. Valéry Giscard d'Estaing, when he was president of France in the 1970s, he said, look, we don't want to be dependent on the Soviet Union uh, uh, for gas, so here's what we're going to do. We are going to build nuclear power plants, and that's going to be uh, and that's going to be our solution. And that's why when I lived in France, it was electric heating, uh, which, by the way, is great because it switches on immediately. It heats yes. immediately, like with a gas boiler, you've got to wait quite a bit. Um, Yeah, I mean, in, in Europe we don't AC in the summer, as you, mm-hmm. as you know, Liz. So we don't have that energy problem. But uh, yeah, it's a lot of uh, a lot of dependencies, a lot of a lot of a lot of expenditure on on, on yeah. energy overall for households.
1: Yeah, and energy is so crucial to our economy and everything. I mean, if the cost of energy goes up, then the cost of everything else is going to go up as well. So It's going to cost more exactly. to make it, to move it around. And so ensuring that we aren't dependent on like, you know, singular source and that we have more independence with how we produce our energy, not only just the U.S., but I mean, even a lot of countries, I think it's important for them to not be dependent on other regimes or other countries or what have you on some of these major resources. I mean, I appreciate not everybody can generate their own in their own country. And we that's the beauty of free trade, right? We can trade and and do that. But, you know, there's a lot of uh, complications with that as well, I think. So um, I think the takeaway here is we need more nuclear.
0: Absolutely, uh, more nuclear to be not dependent on bare-chested horse-riding dictators uh, from uh, from Moscow. <laughs> yes. So, um, so we'll be we'll be we will be putting that down as the as the takeaway of the podcast, Liz. <laughs> it was great to have you. Where can fe- people find you on uh, Twitter and elsewhere? Where where can people connect to read more? Yes, of this stuff?
1: you can follow me on Twitter at eohicks. Otherwise, you can look, at my, look up my articles on the Consumer Choice Center website at consumerchoicecenter.org. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. This was lovely. Hopefully, we can uh, do this again soon sometime.
0: Absolutely. We'll have you back to have a corporation across the Atlantic here. I've been one half-year host. My name is Bill Worth, and we'll have a Billy Joel's pressure playing us out here again. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, see you Thursday. You have to learn.